May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is like... The fact that Jesus opens with that little word, for, alerts us to the fact that he's midway through making a point. In this case, he's about to illustrate something he's been trying to hammer into the rather thick heads of his disciples. This parable, you see, is preceded by Jesus' famous saying that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, though, because for God all things are possible. And to this, Peter has piped up with what sounds like a bit of a whiny question. Look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Come on, Jesus. There's got to be something in this for us, right? To this, Jesus replies that yes, there is certainly something in this for you, Peter. And for the rest of you, it's called eternal life. But... Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. But, again and again in Jesus' teaching, so much turns on those little words. He continues, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he set them into the vineyard. And you heard how it all unfolds from there. There's apparently quite a harvest to be gathered, so the landowner goes out again at 9 o'clock in the morning to find more workers, saying to them, You go also into my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Fair wages for your work is the implication. Yet there are evidently even more grapes to be gathered than these two crews can handle, and so the landowner is out again at noon, and then at three o'clock in the afternoon to hire even more grape pickers. The parable begins to push the absurd when Jesus has the landowner going out yet again at five o'clock in the afternoon. The landowner said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And here, as Jesus tells his story, the disciples might well have been thinking, Yeah, of course no one's hired you. You're the kind of workers who nobody wants to hire. You've got your premier labor crews, right? The, the first ones to get sent into a job. The ones you can really count on. Then you've got your second stringers who will do a credible job in a pinch, and then you've got the sort of bunch who are still waiting around at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, having done nothing all day, still hanging around the street corner. Think of them as being the squeegee kids of the ancient world. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, which is about an hour later in that part of the world, the sun sets fairly close to 6 o'clock, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. So he's lining them up, in other words, with the five o'clock people at the front of the line and then the three, the noon, the nine, and the all-day workers. 
And when those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage, not an hourly wage for the one hour they worked, but a full day's pay, which gets those who worked all day long standing at the back of the line doing some very hopeful calculations in their minds. If he just paid them a denarius for one hour, we're in for some serious money here. We've been here for over ten hours. Look at the grapes. But, one of Jesus' favorite little words again, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us, who've borne the burden of the day, the scorching heat. But the landowner replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you. Go. I choose to give to this last, the five o'clock people, the same as I give to you, the all-day workers. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or are you envious because I am generous? Well, yes, actually they are. That's precisely the point. And that's the point Jesus wants to bang into Peter's head when he'd said, What then will we have, Jesus? Well, Peter, just as the landowner had promised that he will pay whatever is right, I'm saying to you that God will not cheat you or shortchange you for the life you have given over into this movement. Yet in the strange economy of God's kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. You're certainly a part of it, Peter. But don't be surprised to be sitting down at the heavenly banquet with a squeegee kid on your left and a crack-addicted prostitute on your right. We gave up so much to follow you. We worked so hard in your vineyard, resisted so many temptations, walked a righteous path with you, Lord, and now I have to sit beside her? Yes, Peter, you do. And Peter, you should feel honored to be in her company and with me to extend to her the kind of hospitality she never knew in the course of her lifetime. For the first time in decades, her hunger for crack is gone here in the kingdom. For the first time in years, she can hold her head up. Perhaps for the first time in her life, she'll be able to look a man in the eyes. Look you in the eyes, Peter, and not feel herself to be reduced to a mere sexual commodity. Why wouldn't you want to sit at table with her, Peter? Now, though the parable is originally told to Peter and the other disciples, they're clearly not the only ones who have struggled with the wideness of God's mercy. They're not the last ones to feel some envy over the generosity of God. The parable is directed through those disciples and into the early church. As that early church struggled to sort out the wildness of grace, the scandal of inclusion, Gentiles, slaves, and women with the same status as land-holding Jewish men, and then, through their struggles, 
to us. If we imagine for a moment that inclusion in the kingdom of heaven is by virtue of our virtuousness, our good behavior, our proper prayers, then this parable should get right under our skin. Because it says that those unvirtuous and badly behaved people we so easily disdain are as much beloved by God as are we, as much wanted at the banquet as any of us. And sometimes good Christian people find that embedded in our disdain is a sense that those people are living it up. They're not taking life seriously. They're living it up. They're indulging whatever appetites they want to indulge. They're being serious, hard party people. I'm resisting all of that. Does Jesus seem to suggest that they get what amounts to a free pass? Why have I bothered behaving all of these decades? Well, you know those places in Paul's epistles where he warns against things like licentiousness? Isn't that a great word? That's so Paul. Licentiousness, debauchery, and drunkenness. All those things. Where Paul can sometimes sound like he's giving moral instruction or setting out rules of pious good behavior, as if he's saying you must resist those alluring and strangely attractive sins in order to be part of Christ's body, Paul isn't actually pious or moralistic in that sense at all. What he's flagging is the illusion that those things actually make for a great life. I have an acquaintance from my former parish where I was before St. Ben's who'd been the consummate party animal. He managed to hold down a decent job. He's about my age. Managed to hold down a decent job with good pay for 15 or 20 years. But as soon as the work day was over, it was straight to the bar. And he'd often stay there till closing time. One night, he staggered out of the bar, straight off the curb and onto the street, where he was hit by a car and almost killed. He spent several months in the hospital. Boy, did he like those painkillers. After he was released, he decided that if those prescription narcotics had been good, then street drugs would be better. He discovered cocaine and then graduated to crack. He managed to lose his wife and his child in that process, but he just kept going. He was a real party guy, liked to live big, didn't pay attention to the rules. Till one day, he was so deeply in debt to his dealer, a couple of bikers arrived at the house to collect what he owed. They beat him up, beat him up badly, locked him in a closet, Came back about eight hours later, got him out, beat him up again, and then said, now pay us. That one cost him his already heavily mortgaged house. But it also pushed him finally out of his illusion that the life he'd been living was anything worth living. The day I met him, he arrived at the church door. He explained to me that he'd grown up going to that church gone to Sunday school and youth group there. His parents still attended. Told me he was going into rehab the next day and asked if he could sit in the church for a while. Maybe just pray, just be safe for a little bit. 28 days of rehab 
led into a hundred straight days of cocaine anonymous meetings, which led into years and years and years of ongoing 12-step meetings. You know, the illusion that his old life had been a high life, had been a good life, had been one that anybody could envy, it was all gone. I can hardly describe the delight he came to take in the day-to-day of life, of managing to get back into a house, of managing to keep his head up, of managing to help other people, of seeing his daughter again. Life in a vineyard he'd managed to stumble back into at five o'clock in the afternoon, that was really the good life. This past Monday, I visited with somebody at a drug detox center, someone who, on and off over the years, has actually kept company with us here at St. Ben's. Be fair to say that this person has even joined in with us from time to time as we worked the vineyard. He's had real glimpses of the truth that the work here is actually pretty darn good better than the street corner up until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. See, this landowner doesn't drive us too hard. This landowner doesn't begrudge us popping grapes into our mouths as we pick. This landowner puts on a heck of a good lunch, always comes with a glass of wine if you want it. And we know that this landowner, this vineyard owner, is bottling all of that wine precisely to serve to all of us at the banquet that is the Supper of the Lamb. From time to time, this person sitting in detox has actually shared in all of that with us and loves it. Yet, what I heard in that detox center was also a story of deep brokenness terrible missteps and the all-but-demonic grip of crack cocaine, crystal meth, and easy money. So powerful is that grip on this person that they found it impossible to actually stay in the vineyard long enough to set roots, keep slipping out over the fence, through the gate, back onto the back streets, and you know who's on the back streets? Other people as broken, as haunted, as desperate. The grip, though, is that tight. Maybe this time, they said to me, maybe this time will be different. One of the critical things, incidentally, is that this person is connected over the years with lots of the all-day laborers, the long-haul people who've kind of been in the vineyard, and happily so, And never once have they heard the message that somehow arriving late in the day made them less welcome or less deserving of grace. People have managed to deliver the message that says, actually, we're all here for the same reason. And at the end of the day, the pay is the same, and that's the way it should be. They've heard that. Keeps them coming back. I've learned that those five o'clock in the afternoon people are people with stories that shouldn't be envied. And I think I've begun to learn that I should be honored at the very prospect of keeping company with them at the banquet that is Christ's kingdom. That's the audacious message of grace that Jesus hammered at Peter with this parable and at us too. This is a wildly inclusive, extraordinarily widely merciful and gracious God. We all belong. 
Start of the day, noon, three, five. We're all here. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.